2 Samuel uh, 22, and we are going to uh, just, we're going to look at a couple of verses here at the very beginning. I want to read those, so if you would stand with me, uh, we'll read those together here. Uh, it's 2 Samuel 22, verses 1 through 4. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. You may be seated. We've spent a lot of time in First uh, and Second Samuel, um, and you know, if you've been with us, that it's centered around the monarchy, that is, it's centered around the king. God had said to Israel, you'll have a king, and some of them uh, wanted a king kind of, I guess you could say, uh, maybe a little early pressing for that, because at their heart, like really at a heart level, they're their longing for a king is not wrong, but their heart was wrong in that they wanted a king like the nations. And so that was a big issue, um, and it turned out to be a bad thing. But then God raised up David, a king after his own heart. God not only anointed him as king, but he made a covenant with him, and he said, look, the kingdom will never depart from you. And so we have been studying about that now we could look at David's journey and say it was not filled with peace and tranquility he was not just kind of kicking back and relaxing it was a very difficult time and so he understood and I think about this psalm a lot uh, but he understood the psalm amazing grace that that particular um, verse where it says through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and His grace will lead me home. He understood that. He had experienced that. And you know, when you think about your life, and you're thinking about the stories of kind of deliverance, sometimes you might say, yeah, I have had a lot of close calls. Maybe if I said, you know, when you were a kid, did you ever have these moments where you just kind of, I, I don't know, you could have been hit by a car and you like somehow you stopped or you had uh, this wreck as a teenager and you survived or you might have a list of a lot of things or maybe uh, this job was lost and you were left looking, wondering, how am I going to make it and find the, the next thing and will I be provided for? All of us have these little deliverances and you might say, I don't know. And some people would say, well, I mean, that was serendipitous. You know? And you think, really? Is that how you see that? Are, you, are we not seeing that with the eyes of faith and considering all of these difficult moments or close calls as part of God, our covenant God's like commitment to us, watching over us, protecting us? And if we were to describe them, you know, you kind of wonder, how would you describe them? 
And I know I've mentioned to you before um, the illustration of, of, that Edith Schaefer shared. She was the wife of a great Christian uh, teacher, Francis Schaefer, and she recounted the moment in her life when she knew her son had contracted polio and she is watching his body be uh, taken over by, by polio and she is not able to do anything. And his, you know, he, she's watching the muscles, you know, basically just kind of leaving his certain parts of his body. And she is in that moment reminded, God, in a sense, like pulls back the curtain and allows her to see that he is reigning and that he is, he is watching over her and that there's this battle, this heavenly things that are going on that she doesn't understand because in the present, many people would just walk by and say, poor little child, he's contracted this, but God in his infinite wisdom and all-powerful God is watching over every aspect of her life and she is praying, understanding that there's so many um, uh, things that she doesn't understand behind the scenes that God is doing, that He is accomplishing. David is looking back and he's not saying, those were just circumstances, odd ones. I don't know how I escaped that. That was just kind of, that was strange. I can't believe that person called me at that time. I can't believe that I got into that school. I can't believe this, 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 and this. All these things, just they just lined up. How does that work? David is looking back, and when his back's against the wall, there is, there's this recurring theme for him. The Lord has delivered him. And these things really, I just think it's important to say, Romans 15 says, these things, these things in the Bible, these stories are written for our instruction. What does it go on to say? That through endurance and the encouragement of Scriptures, we might have hope. It's a way of saying, you need the stories. You need the stories of old. They need to grip you. They need to be close to your mind. We've been talking about some even recently that in our family and in other places where those narratives that we have in our heads, they are either good or bad you grew up you have a story i could set you down and ask you your story and i could say how did people see this how did they see that what did they talk about what were the statements that they said over and over what is the thing that keeps running through your head and the question is are those stories that run through your head stories of god's deliverance Stories of God's faithfulness. And we need to stop and consider that. And this morning, David is recounting his life. The, the life of living through many dangerous toils and snares. And he wants to tell that in a, in a brief way. You say, man, it's 51 verses. It's brief. He's summarizing his life in song. And he wants you to stop and consider that. He sees the Lord as the protector and deliverer of his life. Now, 
If you remember, you have this insane memory that you can remember everything we've ever done. We've studied Psalm 18 before. And Psalm 18 and 2 Samuel 22 are almost identical. So just note that it was almost like the, the person putting together 2 Samuel, he, he places within it this song, this song of David, to help you understand how we ought to read this whole book. Six sections here. You ready? Section, first section and the last section. It's verses 1 through 4 and 47 through 51 are like explosive praise. Section 2 shows God's deliverance. How does he show up? We're going to talk about that, which is unbelievable. And then the third section, he says basically, a basis for this deliverance is this faithful walk with God. You, have to walk, you need to walk with God. Walk in faith. Trust Him. Follow Him. Section 4, there's a principle. He's basically saying God deals with man this way. If they walk in faith and the obedience of faith, trusting God, He's working on their behalf. Section 5, He retells God's deliverance, emphasizing the strength that He's given Him to do these things. So, again, this is a, this is a song or a psalm of praise and he is going to lay these things out. So we're, it's a lot to cover. It's a lot to cover. But you've got to just think. He's talking about deliverance. It'll be really easy if you'll just let yourself kind of move uh, through that with me. So let's, let's get started and, and go forward here. 2 Samuel 22, verses 1 through um, 4. Here, this first section. David praises God, his rock. This is a normal occurrence in the Bible where people would experience a great deliverance and then sing. That's just something. When the people of Israel were rescued from Egypt, the Egyptians are chasing after them. God parts the water. They get through. The, the Egyptians come into the waters. They are crushed. It's followed by a song. Deborah and Barak, when they saw this great deliverance of God, at the end of that, there's a song to celebrate it, to commemorate it, to be able to go back and say, hey, let's sing that song together. I like the band Alabama. I have since I was a child. I grew up in the 80s listening to every song by Alabama. My boys listen to Alabama. And there's this kind of thing where it takes me back to a time. And they can, they're like, play that one, roll on. Give me that song, roll on, you know, or whatever it might be. Or 40-hour week for a living. But some of those, I was thinking the other day, 40-hour week for a living, those people, I know what they do. They don't do it in 40 hours, you know. But I, I love to think about that. It reminds me of a time, and maybe not even a time that I lived, but a time where it kind of stirs my heart, if you will, towards very valuable things, simple things that we should enjoy. And so I think that's what we do. We sing, we recount these songs 
of God's deliverance, we get to rejoice in Him. We get to reflect on Him, and we get to do that through the psalmist here. And that is something that Israel did over and over. So he is singing these praises to God. His rock, his fortress, his deliverer. It's both the, he is like keeping the enemy away and attacking the enemy. At the same time, it's, it's, God is his shield and his sword. That's what he's saying. So it's a very powerful picture here. Now, the second section, we, we talk about his praise to God as his rock, but now God's deliverance. So look at verses uh, 5 and 6. The waves of death encompassed me. We, our swim lessons got canceled this year. And somewhere just recently, I was like, what happened to those swim lessons? And Anna had already talked to me about them, and I'm just like, we got to have them. We got to figure that out or whatever, you know. And so we ended up finding someone, and uh, the first day, Sam looked at the waters of that pool, and he saw them as torrents of destruction, right? And he's, he's a little bit like, no way I'm getting in that. My face is not going in that water. You know, like I'll put my feet in there, I'll step down on the second step, but I'm telling you, I'm not going all the way in. But after a couple of days, he began to move through. The what Sam was doing was not, he didn't understand. It's, it wasn't that big a deal. Now he's like, no, oh, that's not that big a deal. But there are waters throughout the Bible that are, they're always, it's almost like the chaos of, of the world coming, crashing down. When you think about the waters, you think about this perfect storm and the ship in the middle, and it's crashing down on them. It's relentless and it's crushing. Uh, Jonah faced that. The waters are crushing. He said, throw me overboard. And he goes down into the heart of the sea. David has been in those metaphorical waters that seem like they're going to snuff the life out of him. They're going to overtake him. And some of us maybe in our lives have been in that moment where you think, these waters, these waters, they're coming. They're, I'm, you're haunted by them, potentially. But you think about those moments. The cords. Have you ever had that? You just felt like something was, like maybe in, when you were in the water, like seaweed hit your foot and you thought, it's coming to get me, you know? It's finally going to take me. He had been in those moments. And he explains his desperate situation. And then, verse 7, notice what he says. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God I called. From His temple He heard my voice, and my cries came to His ears. He took off running, if you will, towards God. Towards the place that God is is in his mind he is there at the temple his presence is there he's running in he's rushing in to god 
As Christians, we understand that Jesus is presented as the temple, the presence of God with us. And by virtue of our union with Him, we are confident that if we enter into relationship with Him, we can enter into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies. We also know that by the Spirit, we have access together in the Spirit as His temple, as His people, God dwelling in our midst even now. We can trust that. The Bible says we're justified by faith, we have peace with God, and we've obtained access into it. So when the storms come, and they do, and they seem like they're going to crush me, suffocate me, take me down, and I think, I don't even know what to do. David says, cry out to him. And God answers him. Verses, again, David's reflecting back over his life. He's thinking about all those moments when the cords seem like they're going to take him down. He's reflecting on it. And what does he say? He cried out to the Lord. Again, it reminds you of Jonah. And the Lord delivered him. Look at verses 8 through 16. Now this, you're not used to kind of looking at text as you listen to a sermon. I, I, I hope you're looking at these verses. Because you want to see what he's saying here. Then... The earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled, uh, tramp, tram, uh, trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and, and came, I mean, he bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him his canopy, thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him his canopy, <clears throat> before him his coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, and he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, the foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. What is he saying? He cries out, God moves heaven and earth. That, that's, that's what he's saying. You say, Jared, does he, does he do that? Is Dave, what is, is David have like a big imagination? You know, like, what, what's going on here? I mean, just think about that for a moment. Does God deliver that way? Do you see His deliverances that way? Some of you might say, I could say, listen, tell me, 2019, were there moments when your back was against the wall? 2020, were there moments when your back was against the wall? Do you remember it? Do you remember being pressed on? Do you remember crying out? How do you see that? How do you envision it? If you were to paint the picture for your children, would you say, well, I don't know, we got out of that. 
Is that how he wants to recount the story to them? Or does he want his children, the family of Israel, to see? To see maybe what they've never seen before. To grasp it. You might say, well, I mean, that was kind of funny. He was over there in a cave and Saul came in there and had all those men. I mean, that was interesting that that somebody came and screamed out, the Philistines are attacking! And Saul takes off and runs to get them. That was just, wasn't that interesting? That's not how he's presenting this. He is saying, God is moving heaven and earth to deliver him. Listen to these things here. When David eluded Saul's spear, nothing seemed to register on the Richter scale. Even when the Spirit of God held Saul in his own straitjacket, there was no smoke or devouring fire. When Saul had shut up David within an inch of his life, we did not hear Yahweh's thunder, but only a messenger hollering about a Philistine invasion. When... David seemed doomed to commit political suicide and march with the Philistines against Israel. We saw no parted heavens or storm clouds, but only heard the crabbing of the Philistine brass that on no account would David and company march in the Philistine ranks. But why did all these things occur precisely when and as they did? Why all these deliverances? The poetry provides the truth behind the facts. All these came from Yahweh, the sky-splitting, world-shaking, enemy-bashing God. Such a God energizes praise. Right? Right? I mean, is that how you see that? When you recount those things, I love to sit with older people and say, talk to me about your life. And they say stuff like Jacob, who, say, who would say, the Lord has been my shepherd all of my days. Did he say they were all easy days? It's not this nonsense Christianity that says, it's going to be easy, it's going to be easy. That's not what David's saying. He's saying, there were many hard days. There were many days that were frightening. There were many days that I thought that I was going to be overtaken. But there's one recurring theme tied to all those days. I saw the Lord and He moved heaven and earth. Section 3. Why did God deliver David? Verses 21 through 25 speak of David's righteousness. Now, we have just concluded a section where we saw his sin with Bathsheba and then and, and the, the death of Uriah the Hittite and all of the trouble that followed David as a result of his sin. He shows us 
those moments, the writer very clearly, and then follows it up with a chapter, I mean, a, yeah, a chapter like this. What does he say in this chapter? He says the same thing that Psalm 1 says. Blessed is the man who does not walk with the wicked, but walks with the righteous. His life will be filled with fruit. His life will benefit others. He will know God's deliverance. David's life was not perfect. It was not always... He, didn't, he wasn't sinless. He, his life was lived, though, in a rhythm. A rhythm of trusting God. A rhythm of knowing God's promises. Of God calling him out uniquely and calling him to himself. He knew that. And his life was one of, uh, of that rhythm of trusting it was not like he was without sin. Psalm 51 shows us that where he repents of his sin and turns back to God and knows God's kindness shown to him even though he had to deal with some pretty tough consequences as a result. But, but the pattern of David's life is one of drawing close to God. Even when he sinned, even when he came under God's discipline, even when he had really faced a good spanking, He's one of, of, of walking and enjoying God, of, of, of failing, but then God in His mercy, like showing kindness to Him and Him coming back. And that is a pattern in David's life. You could say, David walked with God. The general principle, I think you would say, in those, these verses is when we go our own way, we bring misery and destruction on ourselves. But it's, it's, more, it's like the, a father disciplining his child and not a judge condemning. He's, he's known God's, God's correction, but the pattern of his life is to trust God, to follow after God, to pursue God. As Christians, I would say, you're not going to live a perfect life. You will stumble and maybe dreadfully stumble. But yet, at the end of the day, if you truly are a Christian, your life will be characterized by walking with the Lord. That's what we would say. You've been walking in faith. There's an obedience of faith. It's demonstrated in your life. I could look over the, your whole life and say, this person or that person walked with the Lord. And someone who walks in faith with the Lord, who's experienced His covenant mercies, that person will, is the person that is delivered and rescued. And so he moves on from that place to verses 26-30 through 30 and says, here's the principle. God deals justly with people. If they walk in obedient faith, trusting God for what He said, they are blessed. If they reject that, they come under a curse. It, there, it's either you're trusting God or you are rejecting Him. You're either living in unbelief or living in belief. That, that's kind of the picture that he paints here. It's a principle that, that you see in verses 26 through 30. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. With the crooked, you make your... Uh, you make yourself seem tortuous. What, what's going on? 
I think we're just kind of getting an idea of what it means to walk with the Lord faithfully and what it means to know His deliverance, His delivering mercies. And so that's what we see. So section one, we see David praise God. Section two, we see God deliver. Section three, we see David as his life fleshes out, he walks righteously before the Lord. Section four, this is how God works. Section five, there's a, a retelling of God's deliverance. Now look at this with me real quick. How is it retold here? Look at verse 31. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? You see how he's building up this, this thoughts about God. Then look at verse 34. He made my feet like the feet of a deer. Verse 35. He trains my hands for war. What's he saying? He, it's, sometimes there are people that are like, they, they think of God's delivering mercies as somehow not involved, involving them at all. But in this passage, I think what it's saying is God is working through means. Through flesh and blood means. I mean, ultimately, through Jesus Christ who became flesh and dwelt among us and who delivered us. But also, like, when we're thinking about and looking over our lives, we say, you know what? He strengthened my hands for that. He, he made me wake up in the middle of the night and figure that out. He's just doing all these things. He put me before this person. He showed kindness to me in this way. He allowed me to understand this. Like I said, He made it where I could get into this certain school. He, met me, he, he made it where I could meet my wife. He gave me those kids. He, he's been working and strengthening and using all of these things. Verse 37, You gave a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. He set me on solid ground when everything around me, you think, no. And what you want to say to your kids it's like some of them right now, we've had some that just went off to college and you just want to say, walk faithfully with the Lord. You're going to come up against a lot of things that you've never had to come up against before. You're going to have troubles that you never had before. You're going to make decisions that you've never had to make before. But as you're going down that road, know that there's one who is going before His people. He, he's, he's setting out before them. There's some game. I can't remember what it is. I've watched Nathaniel play. But they build the steps. It's like they're build. It's like as the man's making his steps, it's, it's like he's able to build the steps out in front of him. He's saying, God did those kind of things with me. I can't take credit for that. But if someone were just looking at me, they would say, oh, oh, Jared just always lands on his feet. Who's doing that? Who's providing for those things? That is what you see. God is equipping him for the battles that he is to face, even when he thinks like the enemies are too great. 
verses 43, I mean, sorry, 44 through 46. You see how the wicked respond to God's deliverance. It says, you delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of the nations, people of whom I had not known served me. Foreigners came cringing to me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of the fortress. It's just this picture of like when God's hand was on him, he just, you could look back and say, you know what? People noticed that. We talked about last week, he was a light to the people of Israel. Here, he's a light to the nations, a light that expounds upon God and his deliverances. So he concludes in verses 47 through 51. Think back again with me. He starts with praise to God. He speaks of God's deliverance, moving heaven and earth. He speaks of what it means to walk faithfully with God. He says, hey, if you'll walk faithfully with God, He'll take care of you. He retells the deliverance saying, not only is heaven and earth being shaken, it's on earth. It's as if God is moving with me and before me. He's been chasing after me with goodness and mercy all of my days. And he strengthened my arms. In the days when I was weary, he had someone come alongside and fight alongside me. So he concludes and says, Praise be to God, this God who is my rock and my deliverer and my defense. Do you walk in light of this? Do you live as if these things are true? Why would God give you this psalm? Why why do we get to read it this morning together? Why would He do that? He did that as a a way for us to be instructed, to be taught, to be reminded When we look to our Lord and Savior Jesus, He was hated and despised. He cried out to God, but instead of being rescued in that moment, He died to save us. But He was raised victorious. Over the grave, proving that He was victorious over everything. When you and I are looking at situations, we don't have to look at them quite like David we look at them and say, I'm united to the One who has defeated all of our enemies. It's almost like when you say, whatever enemies I face, they're all bark and no bite. It cannot destroy me. That's why the church in the Revelation is seen, even those who were slain, they are seen as triumphant gatherers around the throne of God, and this is what they say. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We can stand in that. We should. We should encourage one another with those truths. We should sometimes tell the story 
and recount the details of it. But we also need to sing the songs. And in First and Second Samuel, you get both. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for how You speak to us. We thank You that David could both see God come down from heaven, shaking the whole universe. And we also thank You that He could see each step of the way in the activities that God would strengthen His hands. And Lord, we praise You that the church throughout the ages has written down songs, been given songs, songs that we could recount of Your deliverance. We praise You for that. In Christ's name, Amen.